Well, good evening. Welcome to Redeemer Church. We're so glad that you could join with us, either in person or online, uh, that we could join and worship our great God. A few announcements uh, to get us started first. Uh, tonight, following the evening service, we are going to have a missions update uh, with Eric and Stacy Hoxima. So please be sure to stick around for that and hear about their work. Uh, it should be uh, both uh, challenging and encouraging. Uh, challenging us to pray more, but encouraging to hear what the Lord is doing in and through them. Uh, so please be sure to stick around for that. High school group is meeting tonight, but they should stick around here to hear that report as well. Uh, officer nominations are being taken right now. Uh, the, the sheets are over there uh, by the mailboxes, uh, so be sure to fill those out. We need to have those collected uh, after the evening service next Sunday evening. So if there's somebody that you would like to nominate to be a deacon or an elder, be sure to reach out to them and ask them uh, if, if they wouldn't mind standing uh, for a particular office and then fill out one of those sheets to let uh, the elders know uh, who you would like to put forward uh, from the congregation. And then uh, this is uh, a note uh, that I think uh, the treasurer would appreciate. Uh, all 2022 uh, contributions need to be submitted uh, by uh, Christmas Day uh, in order for uh, all of that to be processed. Uh, so please be sure, if, if you're going to make any more contributions for the year, that you have them on the 25th uh, so that those can be counted. Those are all my announcements. Let's take a moment now uh, and prepare to worship our God. Our God calls us into his presence this evening with Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Let's stand and sing to our God. I love to tell the story.
focusing on our time. Most gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for the light of your love that you have shown in your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, this is a a dark world. It's cold with our sin and our misery, Lord. Whenever we look look out and survey the the things in our lives, we, we recognize that without you, Lord, we would have nothing. But in Christ, we have life and light and peace. Lord, we pray that you would direct our, our hearts to, to our Savior Jesus, that, that by your Spirit you would conform us more to his image. And Lord, that, that we would leave here a changed people. Lord, that, that we would hunger and thirst after your word uh, this evening and, and all the days of our lives, and that we would tell of that great story of Jesus and his love for us, Lord. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Let's continue to worship now with While Shepherds Watch Their Flock. I received the the following uh, praise and prayer requests from Westminster Seminary, California. They're one of the ministries we support here um, as Redeemer and as the missions ministry. Um, So I wanted to share those and then we'll lift them up in prayer tonight. So first, a couple of praises. Um, They rejoice and give thanks to God that he has raised up Westminster Seminary, California and sustained it for over 40 years now to glorify Christ, teach his gospel, and serves church. 
Also, thank God for the many students who has prepared for ministry at Westminster and who are now in the world proclaiming his gospel. And then two requests, um, that God will provide the funding that's needed to sustain um, Westminster and also for the completion of one more um, student housing apartment building. So uh, let's uh, lift up Westminster in prayer tonight. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for Westminster Seminary um, in California tonight. We, we thank you for bringing them uh, into existence now over 40 years ago and for continuing to grow and sustain them for over these uh, past decades. We thank you for the example. They are of glorifying Christ, preaching the good news, and serving the many church bodies connected to them and their graduates. We give thanks for the many students you have brought to attend there in order to to study your word, learn the craft of preaching, and go out into the world to proclaim it faithfully. We praise and thank you for the many lost souls who have heard your word, maybe for the very first time because of the work of Westminster, and are now walking with Christ. We pray that you would provide for the completion of uh, another student apartment building there. We also pray that you would continue to sustain Westminster financially um, we pray for the current and future donors who support them, that you would work in them to give, give with joyful hearts and a desire to see your gospel go forth to the ends of the earth. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right now, uh, join me, me in singing uh, Jesus Strong and Kind.
us join our hearts in a prayer of thanksgiving. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day that you've given us, for your mercies are new every morning. We thank you, Lord, that we have strength within you and your Son and the Word. We thank you for this time of the year to where we can give recognition to a birth of a Savior. We know, Lord, that this world isn't all that there is, and we can put our trust and hope and faith in you. We thank you for the many blessings that you give us and that all of our valleys don't need to be dark. We thank you for trials and tribulations that we can come alongside one another in difficult times to where we strengthen and bind each other up. We know, Lord, it's all by your hands. We thank you for the jobs and the gifts and talents that you give us to further your kingdom both here and abroad. We thank you for many behind the scene that just do it out of sheer love and joy for you. We thank you for this beautiful church that you've given us. We thank you for freedom. We thank you for your word. At this time, we thank you, Lord, for um, the preaching of the word with the clarity and the precision. Give Pastor Jeff strength as he delivers the word in clarity. And may our tithes and offerings reflect the love and adoration that you have for us. And we pray in your name. Amen.
very thankful this time of year we are singing and listening to Christmas carols. It's a beautiful time of year. We are turning tonight to Philippians chapter 2, and I'll be reading the first eight verses of chapter 2. This evening's sermon is really a continuation of this morning's sermon. In Luke chapter 1, we saw the humility of Mary, that she was weak, but Jesus is strong. And tonight in Philippians chapter 2, specifically in verses 5 through 8, I want to talk about what that means for us as a church and how it's possible for us to adopt a similar humility in the way that we interact with each other. So from Philippians chapter 2, again reading verses 1 through 8, and I'll be focusing on verses 5 through 8, hear the word of the Lord. Paul says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And tonight, if your eye goes naturally to verse 9 and the verses that follow, and you think, but I want to hear about the resurrection and the power of Jesus in his return, I'll just give you a short announcement for next week, Sunday evening. We'll hear about it then. But tonight, verses 5 through 8, and my friends, brothers, and sisters, the famous theologian St. Augustine was once asked to name the central principles of the Christian life. And he said, my friend, I have three of them. The first is this, humility. The second of them is humility. And the third, as you might guess, is also humility. That answer was very much in keeping with what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. It is not natural to be humble. In fact, a survey a number of years ago, you know how people do this. They put a mic in someone's face. It's become a lot more common now than it was even 10 or 15 years ago. They asked people the simple question, do you consider yourself above average as a human being? Above average intelligence, above average morality, above average in comparison to your peers. Would you guess what percentage of people thought they were above average? Nine out of ten. That doesn't bespeak, as a human race, much humility. We tend to think of ourselves more highly, to use the language of this passage, than we ought. And so in the first four verses of this passage, Paul commends to the Philippians a humble attitude. In fact, he really connects the humility with a, with a central characteristic of a healthy church. And that is, he says, have the mind of Christ, which is a humble mind, because when you adopt that attitude of humility, what results is a unity in the church. If I can say, having pastored 
churches now for 20 plus years. In my experience, I've yet to see a healthy church that does not have humility, and that humility is expressed in a great deal of unity. That's not to say there are not times where churches divide over matters of significant importance. They can. But if a church is to be healthy, as Paul says here, there should be a unity based on humility. The two always go together within the body of Christ. Which leads to this question that we're going to consider tonight, and that is, how does that humility become a part of who we are? How is that possible? If nine out of ten of us believe that we are above average, how can our hearts become humble? It's not natural, it doesn't come easily to us, and yet we're commended to have that attitude here in this passage. The answer that Paul gives us is a very simple answer. You're going to be astonished when I tell you, but I don't want you to go by quickly past its force. Paul says that humility that results in unity in the church is only common when we see how that humility is at the core of Christ and his work, and we seek to imitate our Savior. And there are three ways that Paul says that humility is demonstrated in the life of our Savior. It is illustrated before he came, it is illustrated in his coming, and it is illustrated in the entirety of his life. And again, as you hear me describing the humility of Christ, what I really want you to think is, this is the Savior that I'm called to follow and to imitate in my life as a Christian. So the first is Jesus' humility before he came. You can read about that in verses 5 and 6, and I'm going to do that again for you now. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the image of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or a thing to be held onto. If you have studied this passage, as perhaps some of us have, you know this is one of those challenging passages in the Bible. It begins with that central phrase in the words that I read, who being in the form of God did not consider it something to be grasped onto or to be held onto. There have been people in the history of the church who have openly questioned based on this verse who Jesus being in the form of God, whether Jesus himself is equal with the Father. The ancient heretic Arius, for example, said there was a time when Jesus was not divine and he only became divine when he was chosen by God to become our Redeemer. Before that, he was merely another human being. Perhaps he said Jesus was like God, very nearly God, but not fully and truly God like the Father is until the Father chose him to be so. But the idea of form in this passage is not what Arius believed. The idea of form is something that belongs to a particular group. So we can say that God the Father, for example, is in the form of God. That is, he is the characteristics of being God. No one else, as a human being, bears the characteristics of God. But the Father does, and so does the Son, and so does the Spirit. 
It is right then for another translation of the Bible to say about this passage, being in the very nature of God, Jesus did not consider it robbery, or he did not consider that something to be grasped or to be held onto. The fact that Jesus is fully God is important for us to understand as a foundation for his humility. Because if Jesus is fully God, truly God, transcendent God, as the Father and the Spirit are, then this humility becomes all the more stark, becomes all the more impressive. He's not a human being merely like you are, or you are, or I am. This is God himself who humbles himself. The Bible teaches the fullness of the deity of Christ very clearly. Let me give you just one example. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, The Son being the brightness of His image and the express replication of His person, that is, the Son to the Father. Again, I emphasize the deity of Jesus Christ because it emphasizes the great humility of our God. And yet Philippians 4 verse 6 says, But He did not consider that something to be grasped onto or a thing to be held. A different translation has, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. You can see a very different way of translating the ESV does versus other translations. So in addition to this being in the form of God, as a difficult phrase to translate, the one that we have in verse 6 is also very difficult to translate and to understand. So let me paraphrase it for you. When it says, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, or is equality with God something to be grasped onto, what the writer is saying is that Jesus did not regard this divine equality as something to be held onto, now hear this, for his own advantage, for his own benefit so that he would receive something himself for himself. If I can just say a word to those of us who are going to receive Christmas presents in the coming weeks, or if you happen to have a birthday this coming week, wink, wink. It's not very difficult to realize when your birthday or Christmas comes that you're going to receive gifts, and I guess all of our inclination is to say, I've received something for who? For me. This is mine. I just received it. It had my name in the package, and I opened it, and now I get to use it for my own purpose, my end. It belongs to me. What Jesus possessed, being equal with the Father, certainly belongs to him. But he does not use that for his own end. He did not consider his equality with God something that he would simply hold on to For his own sake and his own benefit, he is not selfishly God, if I can put it that way. That is the point that Paul is making here. Instead, Jesus was willing to give up the glory of heaven itself for a time in order to come into our world as a helpless small child in the womb of a young woman in order to be our Savior. If I can just contrast that with all of our experiences, I don't think there is literally anyone else 
who is as selfless as our Savior Jesus Christ. And the reason I know that's our experience because, is because if we go back to the Garden of Eden, what is the way in which the evil one tempted humanity? The devil said to Adam and to Eve, if you eat of this tree, you will become like you will become like God, knowing good and evil. You will become like God himself is. You will know as much as God. You will be captain of your own ship. You will control your own destiny. You want to be like God, don't you? And yet the irony of redemptive history is that the one who actually is God did not hold on to the power, the prestige, the glory that that position, that deity entitled him, but he willingly gave it up for a time in order to come in human form to be our Savior. And so Paul says in verses 5 and 6, this is what it means for Jesus in his willingness to come that he was selfless he was humble he was willing to give up a glory that we only hope to see someday to give it up for a time that he would come into this world and paul says this is what you are called to also possess. Have this mind among you as well, that all that you believe is yours, you hold on to it, you want it for yourself. May you have the selflessness of our Savior before he came, willing to give it up for the sake of another. That is the humility of our Savior Jesus Christ. There's a second way that Paul describes his humility as well, and that comes in verse 7. Jesus was humble before he came into this world, but he was also humble when he came. Verse 7 says, but he made himself, I'm reading my own translation here, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a slave and coming in the likeness of a man. Now this morning, I spent a lot of time talking about Jesus coming into this world as a very small child. We read about Mary going to see her relative Elizabeth and Jesus being a very small child in the womb of his mother at that time. You can imagine how humbling that is, how humbling that would be for one who is God himself to come in the most helpless form, that is, in a baby who could do nothing for himself. And Paul says in verse 7 that Jesus was willing to become someone in no reputation, taking the form of a slave. That might seem ridiculous to you. How did Jesus come as a slave? He didn't literally come as a slave, did he? Well, Jesus certainly did come not as a powerful man, Not as a ruler, not as someone who is universally recognized. He came into what appears to us from every account to be very humble circumstances to very poor people. And more than that, Jesus came not only in humility, he came to serve. He actually came to be a slave, to be a servant to us, 
So that through his life and his death, through the power of resurrection, we can be saved. Is it not true that Mark 10 verse 45 says, Jesus said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to offer my life as a ransom for many. Notice the reversal. In glory, Jesus was served. The angels bow before him, the saints in eternity, even in the moment we're speaking here tonight. The saints in eternity are gathered around the throne of our Savior, singing, praising, giving glory to the Lamb. This is the glory that Jesus was receiving, but he counted it of no reputation and became a servant to us, coming in the likeness of a human being. Jesus did not claim while he was on earth to be a man of political power, of civil power, of military power. In fact, when his disciples near the time of his trial offered to fight against those who would capture him, he told Peter, put away your sword. Later on, he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus had no aspiration to receive the lauding to receive, to receive the praise that is due to those who have strength that is accounted in our world. No, Jesus came in a form, in a humble form, in a humble human form, in order to demonstrate to us exactly the opposite. He knew oppression and struggle while I was here. He knew hunger. He knew sleeplessness. He knew persecution. He knew injustice. Jesus knew all of these things. And he knew them in order to come and to be in our place to demonstrate the humility that is necessary not only for us to imitate, but it's necessary for our salvation. Jesus was humble in his coming. And then the third way that the apostle describes the humility of Jesus He was humble before he came, he was humble in his coming, and he was also humble while he was here. In verse 8, we read these words. It says, In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What is the greatest example of Jesus' humility? It is not found in the cradle, it's found in the cross. On the cross, Jesus was put to death as a common criminal, one who's rebellious against the Roman Empire, someone who suffered the most outrageous form of capital punishment the Romans knew. And this willingness to lay down his life stood in stark contrast, I'm certain, with almost every, if not every criminal who died on a cross. They went kicking and screaming. They didn't want to be persecuted. They did not want to be ravaged by the pain of the cross. But Jesus, it says, went to the cross willingly. In fact, he came to die so that through his death we might find life. That willingness to lay down his life, again, stands in marked contrast to most. Adam, for example, as he lived in the Garden of Eden, came to the day when he was faced with that choice to serve himself, to have momentary happiness or to serve God. And we all know what he chose to do. And I would ask you tonight to examine your own heart, whether that is not what your heart inclines you to do as well. But Jesus came to reverse that. 
by his death. Romans 5 verses 19 through 21 say, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. The law entered that the offense might bound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded so much more, so that as sin reigned through death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The connection between Jesus' birth and death is a very clear one in the Bible and must be clear in our minds tonight. It was to die on the cross that Jesus came into this world. It was not an accident. It wasn't a matter of that's just how it worked out. The humility that existed before Jesus came, the humility that existed when Jesus came into this world, is a humility that marks the life of our Savior, Jesus, which brings us to this question, so what? So God humbled himself for our salvation. What does that mean for the way that we live? Why are you tonight given this three-part summary of Jesus' life? There are two reasons why the apostle lays this out for us tonight. The first is most obvious. It begins in verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Jesus Christ. It is to say that the mind of Jesus Christ our Savior is a mind that you are called to have. There is no room in the human life for me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity of the human hearts, to live on the throne of our existence. If you say to yourself, I will take for myself because otherwise no one will give it to me, I am worth all this plus more. That is not the mind of Jesus. If you look around you and you see others and you fault find, you're overly critical. You don't seek to help, you seek to tear down. You don't seek to build up, you seek to make them lower. That is not the mind of Jesus Christ. If you find yourself struggling with anger when others do things that bother you, when they take what you believe to be yours, when they don't respect you the way that you believe, you ought to be viewed. That is not the mind of Christ. And that failure to have the mind of Christ will be demonstrated again according to the Apostle Paul in the first four verses in many ways, but especially in the way that we view each other in the church. It infects human relationships of all sorts, friendships, marriages, but especially life in the body of Christ, there can be no unity apart from humility. Do you hear that? And therefore, the mind of Christ must be present in each one of us in order for the unity that demonstrates the love of Christ to be found here. That's the first thing that is the so what of this passage. But there's a second as well, and I think it's even more important. The humility of our Savior before he came, when he arrived, and throughout his life is a humility that is meant to not only call you to imitation, it is a call to faith and trust. 
Because the humility of our Savior not only calls you, it makes it possible for you to have that humility. It is possible for you to give up yourself and all that you believe that you deserve. It's possible for you to actually abandon yourself, to take up your cross and to follow him. Not because tonight I'm calling you to it, I'm going to browbeat you into it. I'm saying Philippians 2 says it. It is possible because the spirit of Christ is in you. And because of this spirit of Christ, this mind of the spirit of Christ, I can say with confidence It is not only that you're called to have this mind of Christ. Our Savior has given this to you. And by his desire to come into this world, by his coming and by his life in this world, he has destroyed sin's grasp over your heart. So that in various ways, in many ways, perhaps not perfectly, but in many ways, you see the destruction of your own sinful inclination. And you see your ability to follow after our Savior in humility. Let me simply say to you that even though, as I said this morning, we are weak, He is strong. The strength of our Savior is seen in His humility. A humility that He calls us to, but a humility that He also enables in the hearts of His people. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we confess that sometimes the humility that you call us to is not something that we even desire. It is possible that some of us struggle with even the desire, the recognition that this humility is a part of who we should be. And maybe tonight you've brought us to an awareness that one of the great Christian virtues is humility. A humility that seeks to follow after our Savior Jesus. And if that's what you have done in the preaching of this word, we're deeply grateful. But maybe for others of us, we have come here longing for that humility, and yet in many ways still struggling for it to be true. We're proud of our achievements. We're proud of our successes. We're proud even of the ways in which we can manipulate other people. Father, tear that down. Give us not only a recognition of our failure, but give us the hope of Jesus Christ, who came in the form of a slave, willing to serve us, that our bondage to sin would be released. And we would have the hope tonight of not only knowing that we are sinners, but Father, work in us deeply that assurance that because of Jesus' coming, you not only are able to save, you actually do. And you transform and work in our hearts the very humility that is described in this great passage of Scripture. We pray for each one who is here and each one who is joining us over the internet stream that your word be effective and powerful as you have promised, for we come in Jesus' great and powerful name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, O Little Town of Bethlehem.
Now I'm going to pronounce the blessing of the benediction. After I do, we'll sing another song. And then as you heard in the announcements, following that benediction and doxology, we're going to ask, ask the Hooksimas to come forward and to give about a 10-minute update of their work in Ukraine and Hungary. They've been on a furlough for a little while, but they're headed back shortly. Hence, please stick around. We'll hear that update and then pray for them. And then, of course, you're more than, um, you'd be more than happy to be dismissed. So receive this blessing. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord go with you all. Amen. may be seated. If you need to leave, feel free to do so. Otherwise, we'll ask Eric to come up. And after he's done speaking, we'll pray for him and for his family. I know that the missions committee has champions for the various um, missionaries that we send out. I'm wondering if the champion for the Hooksimas is here. Ah, guess what? I'm going to ask you to pray at the end. Can you do that? Okay. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here. It's always a great opportunity um, when we are back in Michigan to be able to stop here and to uh, worship with you and to be in a time of fellowship with you and to see many um, familiar faces and friends and, um, and, and even uh, those of you who have been served with us in, uh, in, in Ukraine and in Hungary. It's always a great pleasure to catch up with you, too. So thank you for this opportunity to speak here. And we thank you, too, for the opportunity to be here just to give an update on our, our work in um, ministry in Hungary and Ukraine and uh, to, to say a word of thanks for your support and prayers um, for our work and for our family and for um, ministry and the people of Eastern Europe. Uh, as you probably have all heard in the news, it's a a lot has happened in Eastern Europe this year, and uh, since the last time I have been here, um, an incredible amount of things have happened uh, in our life personally and in, in that part of the world. And uh, just, I guess, I'll take a step back for just a minute to, um, to, re to, to just share again of what we are typically doing in our ministry. Is we are normally based uh, out of Western Ukraine, and from there we are uh, conducting. Um, English Bible studies with university students and starting uh, English classes and English clubs 
to in schools and um, and 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 just in partnership with different um, towns and um, and public schools and things like and 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 institutes in um, in Western Ukraine, and we work with uh, Roma or Gypsy uh, kindergartens, and. Um, and we, uh, or every spring, we organize um, two uh, pretty, pretty large uh, Bible retreat weekends for university students in Western Ukraine. So we've been there quite a, quite a long time. Um, I've been going back and forth to Ukraine now for 23 years, and we've been kind of doing the ministry we have been currently doing uh, for the past 15. So Ukraine is a place that's quite close to my heart, and a place I've spent uh, much of my adult life. Um, but yeah, everything really changed for us this year, uh, including our ministry, as we were uh, in Ukraine on um, February 24. February 24 will always be a day I'll always remember. It was a pretty surreal experience to wake up that morning to the news that the country was being invaded by the Russian army. And we were left with a lot of uncertainty of what to do. Um, prayed about it and kind of spent a half a day just debating what to do and talked with some uh, friends in the area uh, seeking out advice. And the main advice we got was you have, you have little kids. If, uh, if this blows over in a week, then you can just come right on back. And if this doesn't blow over, that's probably best to get out now. And so we heeded that advice and we left uh, after about a about 12 hours after the invasion started to head back to the country of Hungary, which we were not far from um, on, the, on the border. And uh, so it was a quite a, it'll be a day I'll never forget. It was just a day full of chaos and a day of uncertainty and fear, and, um, and not just by us, but for tens of thousands of other people. And so by this time, there's already tens of thousands of people trying to leave Ukraine, and so we, uh, we too, um, tried to escape Ukraine that day. It took a number of hours because of the amount of people. But we were able to first go to Romania and then into Hungary where we were taken in by, uh, by a church that we have a strong connection to and they gave us a place to live. Uh, that next day we kind of, yeah, was still filled with a lot of uncertainty and not, sure what, not really sure what to do or how even the next months would look. So uh, we get to, again just began just um, searching for open doors and praying to God for guidance and direction, and um, we started getting a number of um, phone calls and emails and stuff asking for people from people, mostly in Ukraine and also people from the United States with connections to Ukraine, asking for for help for individual people um, to help them get out of Ukraine. So uh, our I. I, uh, I was telling somebody recently, I just can't even, I could never even imagine the places and activities and things that we would be involved with in this past year. It's uh, all seemed at times really quite surreal. And uh, so we began right after the war started of, um, of just helping anybody and everybody who, who, who reached out to us. And as I said, some of this was people we knew, other were connected to people we knew. Um, and we began going to the border, and so for two or three weeks, I spent many, many miles on the road in bringing food and water to the border to the tens of thousands of people coming out of Ukraine, and then um, picking up dozens of people, um, some I knew, some I didn't, from the border and helping them get to locations or to travel onward to further places in Europe where they might have had connections. And um, 
it all and um, we kept kept very very busy with uh, personal connections to to helping people get out of Ukraine at that time. When things began to finally uh, settle down a little bit, uh, um, you and a number of other churches have reached out to us to see uh, how we could help, and we started looking for ways that we could best um, best help in such a great time of need. And um, we uh, started to begin to a system of, um, of, of taking humanitarian aid and food uh, to different places. Um, we began to go back into Ukraine and kind of uh, I have a close friend. He's a wonderful Christian man who's a mayor in western Ukraine, and he had a thousand refugees under his care. And so we began to partner with him in taking food and uh, humanitarian aid to him to the people he was in caring for. And we began to kind of develop a circle. We made a connection with a Christian organization in western Ukraine, a group of Ukrainian guys who were going further on to the front line and hot spots. And so we started taking stuff to them to then take on. And uh, we got connected with another couple who were 59 years old and had 23 people living with them and who needed support and food to care for all those people. And so we just kind of got a network of places to go to on a regular basis. So um, um, we began to, yeah, as I mentioned, take food and humanitarian aid back into Ukraine. We also got connected to a... Uh, Years ago, we had met a Christian uh, adoption lawyer, a Ukrainian man out of Kiev, and he and his wife uh, also run a Christian school. And uh, they, with 30 families from their Christian school, relocated from the Ukraine to the country of the Czech Republic. And uh, they were given by a town in the Czech Republic a, in a, an old abandoned hotel to use. And so they fixed that up a little bit and started living in this hotel and restarted a school. So we also partnered with them and uh, helping uh, those um, 30 families that were moved there. We also got connected to a reformed pastor in Poland who, was, who uh, uh, took in an entire family to live with his own family as well as starting to help refugees in Poland. So we connected with him on also two trips to Poland to uh, help him in his ministry of, um, of, of, of helping with refugees. And it was kind of an interesting story with him. He, uh, he had a one lady who was seven months pregnant at the time who came from Ukraine and was staying with him and so she had a baby while living with him and his wife and uh, they yeah they really filled their their home too with refugees and uh, he had many many refugees coming to his church too so he's able to share uh, preach the gospel to them um, through a Ukrainian translator so it was a joy that God opened this door to be able to partner with this reformed pastor in Poland um so we again would just like to say a word of thanks for the support that we have gotten in this past year. And with the support we have gotten, we're, um, I, I, yeah, I, I just felt a strong calling that God put us where we were with, uh, with the connections and resources that he blessed us with to be, to the best of our ability, uh, um, a light in a very dark world at this time and a chance to not only share the gospel, but also to, and also to try to, um, do the best we can in, in, in helping with this in, in this great time of need of um, humanitarian aid. So with the support that we had received, we were, we were very thankful for, and we were able to end up taking many trips back into Ukraine as well as to the Poland and the Czech Republic and able to deliver around 16 tons of food and humanitarian aid directly to refugees or those who were 
who were uh, then taking it on to um, refugees in other places. We were also uh, a little bit uncertain of um, how our spring would look outside of this, and we had hopes that many of our uh, previously planned activities could still go forward. And, um, and we, again, just looking back at this past year at the providence of God and his hand at work, we were blessed with many opportunities to, uh, to connect with, to connect with uh, people coming out of Ukraine. And many of those were people we knew, uh, students and, uh, and uh, young adults who we were connected to in Ukraine had relocated to study in schools in Hungary, for example. And so we were able to start three weekly Bible studies in Hungary uh, with, um, with mostly uh, young adults and college students who had left Ukraine and relocated to Hungary. And we were also able to, uh, we, had, we had plans to do a, two Bible retreat weekends in Ukraine this past spring, and that became impossible, but we were able to redo that in Hungary. So we were again able to still go forward with those plans by the grace of God to reach out to many of the same people who would have attended the, camp, the weekends in Ukraine, but were then in Hungary, and were still able to join us. So we were, we were thankful for that. And as uh, many of you know, we have uh, uh, eight weeks of, Ten, eight to ten weeks of English outreach camps where we use the English language as a tool to partner with uh, churches and schools across Eastern Europe to present the gospel and to be a witness into their communities and to help uh, local pastors um, bring people into their church in kind of, kind of like a vacation Bible school setting of, uh, of, of offering a week-long English camp to, to, to pull in kids from the local communities to, to come to the church to study English for a week and, and, and doing that also hear the gospel. Uh, so we were thankful too that um, those plans were by and large uh, kept going this summer. Uh, we had been planning for months to do those camps and uh, except for two in Ukraine, we were able to keep those promises and keep those camps going. And we, we thank God uh, for opportunities to um, to serve in Hungary, Croatia, Romania, and in Poland this summer in doing uh, English outreach camps. And so we, we praise God that those opportunities still were able to go forward. Uh, so, I, yeah, I won't talk but a few minutes tonight, but I'll be happy to answer more questions in the back. But, again, I'd just like to give a word of thanks from us for your continued steadfast support and prayers and just to give a small brief update um, of, of, of of an update of praise that we were able to still conduct so much of the ministry we were planning to in, in different countries and in different ways than we had planned, but God still provided. And also new opportunities of uh, working with refugees and, um, and, and providing humanitarian aid and food to, to, to many, many people who left their homes during this time of war um, with, with, with nothing but the clothes on their back. And um, uh, we just ask for your prayers going forward. We plan to go back there in just a few weeks, probably again based out of Hungary, as the situation in Ukraine is still very, very uncertain. And but also, but probably continuing to travel in and out of Ukraine. And uh, we just ask your prayers also for the country of Ukraine, as it just continues to go downhill in Ukraine as. Uh, Things are not really getting better, and it's uh, going to be a cold, dark winter in Ukraine, and the, the war and bloodshed just continues with no end in sight. So please keep the country of Ukraine and its people in your prayers. 
And um, we're also just, I also wanted to mention tonight, as I had just talked about our, our English outreach camps in the summers, we're always looking for volunteers. And if anyone is um, looking for an opportunity to travel to Eastern Europe, probably not Ukraine in the coming year, but uh, in the other countries we operate in in the summer, we are always welcome to talk to you about, uh, about volunteer opportunities. We love to serve beside, uh, beside our brothers and sisters in Christ. So thank you again for the for the prayers and the support, and we, um, yeah, I hope that just a few words, a few minutes of update to, to, to share with you what our lives have looked like in the past year. Thank you, and Merry Christmas. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together tonight in worship of you. We thank you for your presence among us, and we're grateful for the Hooksma's work in Ukraine and Hungary. We thank you for the continued direction and guidance that you have provided for the Hooksma's to be able to help so many others, and we pray for their faithfulness in you and their continued work in Ukraine. We pray earnestly for an end to the war in Ukraine and for the Hooksma's work to continue being fulfilling. We pray that you would put it on our hearts and minds to pray for and support the Hooksmas in any way that we can. Please continue to bless their tireless work. In Jesus' name, amen. 